0: We are in uh, the book of Judges. As we started last week, look at the story of Gideon. And um, Judges chapter 6, if you have a Bible with you, I will read uh, our passage in just a moment. But to give you a quick recap on where we're up to. Um, at this point, the Israelite nation have been uh, delivered out of Egypt. Um, Moses has led them out of Egypt through the wilderness for 40 years. And then before they go into Canaan, what, they, what, was, what was their, their promised land. Um, Moses dies, but hands over leadership to Joshua before that. Joshua takes them into Canaan, and they settle in Canaan. And then when Joshua dies, uh, we're told that it was the end of a generation, really. And we're told that a generation r- rose up that didn't know the Lord and weren't familiar with the works of the Lord. And then what we find in the book of Judges is this cycle where the people of Israel sin, and then they suffer, because as a result of their sin, God disciplines them, they suffer, then they shout to God for help, and then God saves them uh, through a judge, a leader that he raises up. And then, after a few years or decades, they sin again, and then away goes a cycle, sin, suffer, shout, God saves. That's what we get all through the book of Judges. It's happened four times uh, in the first five chapters, and then we reach the story of Gideon, who is another of those judges that God raises up. The situation is, is that the people of Israel are being oppressed by the Midianites, um, who were being extraordinarily uh, cruel and were coming and really taking everything. It was a very difficult time, and um, Gideon is hiding in a wine press, beating out the wheat. When the angel of the Lord appears to him, and as we looked at last week, he, he, he calls him. He calls him by. Uh, he calls him mighty man of valor. This man, who's, this, this man who's terrified and hiding away, mighty man of valour. And he gives him a new name and, and speaks these things over him and really just says, Gideon, I'm choosing you to, to raise you up to help deliver the people of Israel from the Midianites. That's what's going on there. And um, it's just a really important thing that you realise that the, the sin that the Israelites kept falling into, the thing they, that they kept um, doing, it was the same sin pretty much all the time is that as, as God's holy people, which means set-apart, special people, they kept mixing the worship of him with the worship of other gods. So in those days, every nation would have its own gods, and many nations would have many gods of, of, of their own. And um, the Israelites kept um, trying to uh, draw in the worship of these various gods, in a you know, small g gods, the, these uh, creations of people's imagination, and kept trying to uh, syncretize that with their worship of the living God, the creator of heaven and earth. And as you can imagine, on God's part, it aroused his jealousy, uh, it, it broke his heart. There's that, that kind of language uh, throughout the Old Testament where God talks about the sin of Israel and constantly calls them, you, you, are, you, are, faith, you, are, faith, you are unfaithful, an unfaithful wife. He, he, he uses phrases like you know, adultery. Because he, he, he wanted to be their lover in that spiritual sense. But they kept turning to other lovers, other things that would grab their hearts. And they would say, well, we surely we can still worship God and have these things. And um, time and time again, God says, no, it doesn't work. And, um, and so Gideon, by this point of the story, has been called by God, has experienced the grace of God. We looked at that. He started to engage with God in faith and he's been set apart holy for a task, for God. And then we're going to pick up the story now in and Judges chapter 6, verses 25, and we're going to read to verse 32. So he's been called, and his, his mission, bear in mind, is to destroy the, the Midianites, to, to, to break the oppressive hold that the Midianites have over Israel. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. Baal was the name of one of the other gods of the nations. Pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. The Asherah will be a pole and it will be a a, a different kind of, um, a different element of that kind of um, idolatrous worship. And and cut down the Asherah and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the word of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. And when the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down and the Asherah beside it was cut down And the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, who has done this thing? And after they'd searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, will you contend for Baal or or will you save him? Whoever contends for Baal shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god... Let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jeroboam, that is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for your word, and um, these this scriptures, thousands of years old, and the way that they speak right into our lives. Today, in London, 21st century, because people haven't changed. We are the same, and you are the same. And um, Lord, I pray that as we just open up this story here, that there would be much in there that that would really help us. Uh, please do help us through this message today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Okay. So you'd think after Gideon was called with that dramatic encounter with the angel of the Lord, that then it would be like, right, on to business. Go and get those Midianites. No. God appears to Gideon and says, "Um, you know those idols that your family has in your household? I want you to pull them down. And what we're seeing here is the priority of, uh, God's priority is is this. If you're going to deal with the enemy without, you've got to deal with the enemy within. You can't just go and expect to be effective against the enemy without. Now, in our terms, we're not talking Midianites or this or that, are we? Of course we're not. For us, the enemy is not flesh and blood, no human being on the planet, no people group on the planet, absolutely not. For us, the enemy, the Bible says, is spiritual powers, Um, real spiritual powers that are set against God, righteousness, light, life, mercy, spiritual powers that cause oppression, that cause deception, destruction that strangle life. And obviously as a church, we kinda, we're we pumping with things we believe that God by His Spirit has promised us. Amazing things that He'll do in this part of the city and out even to the nations where we will see light and life and mercy come, where we will see families restored, where we will see broken lives made whole. But all of that actually on the flip side represents destruction of enemy spiritual powers. To see those things happen light and life and glory and mercy come actually at this what if that happens, then the powers of darkness that are in those people's lives in that process are being destroyed. And so this is so relevant for us as we think, well, God, we want to be in a, you know, we want to be a fruitful church. We want to make a difference where we are. We don't we, we, we don't want to just kind of be here, just be a group of people that meet in a room and sing songs. God save us just from that. You've called us to actually help to be a blessing. Right, a blessing to this, uh, London where we live and, and out to the nations. So we've got a, we've got a, it's a very similar kind of dynamic here, although different. And this whole idea is this. You've got to, if you want to deal with the enemy without, effectively, first things first, you've got to deal with the enemy within. The things in our own household. The things that w- would hold us back. And it's this thing of idolatry. Now here, like I say, it was actual kind of... Um, You know, uh, um, an Asherah pole, it was something that was physically concrete there that represented false worship. Um, But what is idolatry for us? It's not likely that many of us would be into that kind of idolatry. It may be that some of us have come from nations where that goes on, where there's lots of gods in quotes around that people worship. But actually, for us in the West, it's not so much like that, and yet idolatry is just as present. And um, idolatry at its heart is this idea. It's anything that I or you would look to for ultimate pleasure or for ultimate comfort or for ultimate peace or for ultimate security or for a sense of ultimate well-being or ultimate hope. Anything I look to for ultimate any of those things, that fundamentally is what I worship. Or, or that which I fear the most. If I don't do that, then uh, that's an idol for me. If I don't please this person, there's an idolatry going on there. This is how it works. So it, it's it's much it's, it's harder to spot, but it's just as prevalent and just as real. And it's so important that we engage with it. And there's something about idolatry where, it's, one way I would describe it is like this. It's so alluring and so dedu- so seductive because actually it's... It's often much more tangible than the Lord. So, if there's someone in front of me that I can see, touch, feel, feel physically their arms around me, etc., there's a lure in that because it doesn't require faith to feel that person's comfort, love, etc. And so, I can very quickly find my heart being drawn towards that that person being the the biggest deal in my life because it's so tangible. And this is why idolatry is such a, such, a, such a hard thing to kind of tackle effectively, to be perfectly honest with you. We want a transcendent experience, whether it's pleasure or comfort or peace, we are, we are designed for that. We've been designed by God for him, and he is the ultimate transcendent being. And so in us is this need. It's actually a need. It's more than just a desire. It's a need to know transcendent pleasure, peace, and all of those things. And yet, it's, the way we are born naturally and, and, and this, this bent of sin to all just means we will tend to look to other things than to the Lord. It's at the click of a button. It's so easy, idolatry. It's so, it can be anything from compulsive shopping. I'm stressed. I need to buy something. That make me feel better. New bag, new shoes, new whatever. New shoes aren't a big deal in my life, but I'm sure for some of you it might be. But compulsive shopping can be an idol for some people. You can't stop buying. Or won't stop buying. Or feels just it feels more like can't, just gripped. Brings comfort, brings peace, brings a sense of ah oh, there's some there's some light at the end of the tunnel. There's something to look forward to. Celebrity gazing. Huge thing now. Just you can follow straight on Twitter, all? Oh, what they're thinking, oh, oh, you can feel like you're in their life and they're in your life and you're friends and you know important people and that can make you feel really good. can be very seductive, very alluring. Get drawn into that. Oh, I wonder what they're saying today. For some people, this is a really big deal. This is, this is reality. This is what you would, in the morning, maybe get up uh, and, and look forward to more than other things. or um, uh, Porn. Such a huge thing for so many people. Such a huge deal. Just that instant hit of pleasure and ecstasy. That instant thing. Just leaves you feeling utterly empty and ashamed. But just that that instant pleasure when life's too stressful or too lonely or too whatever. It's idolatry. Or just escapism. God is the God of truth and reality. And as soon as we just sink ourselves... Because we can't, don't want to face reality, we sink ourselves into escapism. It's just, it's another. It's just, it's. Oh, phew. It's a relief. And escapism can manifest in so many different ways, from drunkenness to just watching films all day or whatever. Just being really real, really trying to earth it. This is what it can. This is it. All of us have this just need to know the glory of God. We are wired and made for it. And yet, in this age, we will not know Him face to face. We won't. And in this age, actually, very often it is a battle to know the intimacy of God because there are things that are against us knowing that. And, and it can be just, you know, it, sometimes it just can feel hard. There's an elements of the Christian life that are hard. And sometimes there are seasons that are exceedingly hard. And you even feel that God's is somehow, it feels like, even though you know he never would, but it feels like he's removed his presence. And you, it can be tempting to just look for a quick fix. You light your own light. Where's the light of God gone? I just light my own light but he just leads to torment. He says, how did I get here? These idols promise to fill the hole in our souls. That's the promise. Very famous theologian John Calvin said that the human heart is an idol factory. It just turns out, idol. Uh, every one of us is prone uh, to this. Every, every one of us is. That's, that's the truth. And we're vulnerable to it. And we've got to face it. And this is, a, this, is the, this is, we're going through Gideon, this is the perfect time to look at it. So what do we do with this? Well, let's look at what Gideon does. Let's look at what, first things first, God says, Baal Asherah, God names it. Firstly, you've got to name it. If you don't name where you're in idolatry or where you're vulnerable to idolatry, if you do not name it, then the whole thing just remains so vague, you don't deal with anything. Yeah, imagine if God said to you know, deal with the deal with the idolatry in your father's house. God's like, yeah, sure, I I'm gonna deal with that, I'm gonna pray about it. You know, it's like, no, there's something to do. There's some things to cut down and smash up, and then do some things with we'll look at in a moment. But you've got to name it. And, and and naming it, to be honest, often it definitely involves saying to God, God, this is what it is. that's the first step. But I've found in my life it's also always really helpful to have a couple of people in my life where I am naming it to the detail. <laughs> just where I'm able to say, look, this, this is at the moment a real temptation. And I feel very vulnerable. Can you stand with me? Can you ask me how I'm doing on it? Can you pray for me? Can you walk with me through this season? It is, I'm scared. There are seasons I go through where I'm scared. Yeah? Because I feel, man, I feel I'm sailing really close to the wind here. God, keep me. And it's a process that God, God gives us ways and means to help to keep us. Some of you here, you know, I mean, you ain't got to be a prophet to say this, but I do feel it. it, it must be, you know that it's the other side of that line now, and it's, you're thinking, it's not just I'm vulnerable, I'm, I'm in. Okay, so I know that, yes, reality, stay with me. We've got to, let's look at this stuff. So it's not morbid to name it. It's not a morbid thing. You've got to name it because if you don't, everything's vague. You don't know what you're cutting down. You don't know what you're dealing with. You don't know what you're facing. Um, I often say to people when I, if people want me to have some time with them, helping them to grow in the faith and whatever, I ask this question. If you were to fall, what would cause it? Say that to them. Because somebody say, how are you doing? You're yeah, doing fine. How's your quiet time? Yeah, praying's going great. How's this? Everything's great. I think, well, obviously your street's ahead of me so I can't help you but I will ask you this one question. If you were to if you were to stumble, what would it be? It's a very helpful question. You've got to know what it is. You've got to be able to name it's that actually there. That's where I would that's where I would go. And uh, it's very important to be able to name that. You're acknowledging it. It's embarrassing sometimes and all of that, but it's really great. Really, really great. Next is you get help. Gideon's looking at this poll, it's like now there's two bulls and ten servants and uh, you're not supposed to deal with got part of God's grace to you is others yeah people that are some bulls in your life you need some bulls in your life people that are strong and people that will say you know what i'm going to i'm going to help carry you through this season you know and people i'm going to get on your case i've recently um, just contacted someone who's very dear to me I want them to just. I just feel like my. I just need pastoral help in this season. I'm talking personally. I need pastoral help. I've emailed someone. I said I do not need subtleties. <laughs> I said that to, I do not need subtleties. I love you. I trust you. I want you to get right into my life. Um. Yeah, you got to invite it. Once it's been. Inv- if you invite someone you know, love and trust, then it's cool. Give them the permission. Often I've found I have to keep giving inv- keep giving invitations to the same person. Because people grow hesitant, I so, say, you know, we've got to we got to do this, and, and it, uh, there's times where it's not enjoyable, but we need to get help. Okay, so bulls and servants, those who are going to be strong, and those who are going to serve you. Some of you might think, well, I don't know if you can actually help me, but you can serve me by praying for me right now. If you could pray for me, because it's 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 one of those it's one of those times. Or it's not even one of those times. You know what? I've actually realised that I am really I'm in a spot here, and I need help. I need help from the Lord. So so you name it, then you get some help, some bulls and some servants. Some who will be strong in your life and some who will just serve you by praying for you, supporting you. Next is this. You'll be glad to hear, you don't need to be a hero. Gideon does it by night. (laughs) I love this. It's like as if no one's going to notice in the morning. (laughs) You know what I mean? As if like doing it at night, you know, but he's just like, I just can't face I actually can't face cutting this thing down in front of everyone. I'm going to do it at night. You haven't got to be a hero. There are many ele- elements to my own life and character. I think, God, I, you know, I, I wish I was that, but I'm not. I wish I was more like that person, but, you know, I'm just not. You haven't got to be a hero, okay? But there's there's something just about responding, responding to God in it and recognizing, Lord, I, I'm in uh and i want to go about this seriously and i do recognize that even even though i'm not may not do it in the most heroic way i'm going to do it but there will be repercussions you have to recognize that that there are repercussions when false gods get torn down so you gotta name it you gotta get help and you don't need to be a hero now this is the most important point on idolatry here it is you cannot just remove idols you can't just get them out of the way because, remember what I said earlier, the Bible teaches that we're not just made by God but made for God. We are made to worship. We can't stop worshipping. Even if you're in this room you saying I'm an atheist or whatever, you're worshipping something. What I mean by that is your heart is gripped by something. There's something that is ultimately the thing for you. We'll look at what some of those things might be in just a moment. But, and so There's no point just trying to remove it because it leaves, the, it leaves the, a vacuum which will just lead you to some kind of other idolatry. Yeah? So imagine imagine uh, let's imagine that you're in the grip of porn and you just oh, I'm gonna deal with this thing and you just remove it and you just go ruthless and you just totally remove the thing. You think what where are you gonna where, what's gonna happen after that? will tell you what happened after that. Pride. Look what I did. Dealt with that thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna write a book about that, you know. It's just do you know what I mean? It's like it's just it's a the vacuum there now. Ah. Listen to, what God says to, listen to what God says to Gideon. Take these things you've broken down and now use them as an altar of worship to the Lord. It's really important. Don't just discard it. That, what, what needs to happen is this. Is that those things that, were, that gripped your heart now become fuel for the fire of your worship to the living God. That's what happens, you see. And actually, the only way you can really tear those things down is, by, is, 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 is with, is with a, a love for Jesus. Idols can't be removed; they must be replaced. And if it's not, if it's not replacing the idolatry with idolatry, then you've got you've to come to, as Tom said earlier, the Creator. That's the, how do you know it's an idol if you're worshiping a created thing? It may be yourself, it may be someone else, maybe your hobby, a passion, a celebrity, a this, or that, or the other, a career. Whatever it might be, okay, but it's created. It will not last forever. It is not the eternal one. But your soul was made for Him. Your soul was made for the eternal one. That's the reality. You must be replaced by by by, by the eternal one. Jesus. This is what Jesus reigning in your heart means. And it's it, it's concrete. It's gutsy. It's real. It takes everything. It takes everything all the time, but there are seasons where it really takes everything because something's gone wrong. And you literally need to muster all of your forces. You gather every component of yourself because you recognize, I don't want a beer anymore, but I'm stuck. And it can be intense. This is an intense experience for Gideon. It can be intense. I don't want to lie to you. I don't want to just say niceties and just, you know, just bat around some nice ideas. This is the word of God. This is the reality. None of this cuts against grace. The grace of God does not mean that my, my walk with Jesus will require no effort. The grace of God means this, that God as a gift gives me righteousness. Which means God as a gift makes me brand new and fits me out for his presence from day one because of the work of Jesus on the cross. As a result of that, I can do all of these things in the presence of God and with the help of the presence of God. And I haven't got to just figure it out myself. Grace has made me a winner from the start. Grace has placed me... The grace of God in Jesus Christ has qualified me as a gift. It is done. It is finished. Hallelujah. I do not have to atone for my sins. My sins have been atoned for at the cross. I could never make payment for them. But I don't have to. Jesus has done that with his blood. It's all been done. And now as a free gift, God gives me the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit comes to indwell me and invites me into a life of radical discipleship whereby i walk with him hand in hand, spiritually speaking, as he guides me through. But I must be responsive. I can't, if I spend my whole time quenching the Holy Spirit, grieving the Holy Spirit, ignoring my conscience, where's where's it going to, it's not going to go anywhere fruitful. I don't actually, be honest, know where it will go, but it won't be fruitful. It's really important. That our whole being is engaged in this matter. I'm just being honest with you. This is what Jesus said. This is what Jesus said, and we've got to take him at his word. No one can be my disciple unless he daily picks up his cross and denies himself. That doesn't mean you deny your God-given personality, but it does mean this, there will be desires in you, idolatrous longings in you, that you have to radically say no to every day, decisively. That's the Christian life. If you're never saying no, something's up. The Christian life is not just a no life, hallelujah, for all the things you say yes to. But if you're never saying no, something's up. So what are the potentials for us? I reflected on it a bit, thought about it a little bit, and my heart trembled. Well, first, I want to make this point. They were in his father's household it's almost something that Gideon had inherited, really. It's an inherited thing. The Bible talks about futile ways inherited from our forefathers. Thank God for all the good things handed down from our families. But there will be some things that aren't so good. They're futile. They're fundamentally idolatrous. They're, they're, they're cranky. They, don't, they, they do not line up with the kingdom of God or the gospel. They just don't. And uh, those things do have to be scrutinized and acknowledged for what they are. They're futile. They're not getting me anywhere. They're not glorifying to God. They're not life-giving. They're not, go- they're not gospel. And I need to leave them behind. I need to leave them behind. Now the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, I think it's verse 18 or 19, that the blood of Jesus redeems us from those things, which means there is power in the blood of Jesus for those crazy cycles that go on generation after generation to stop and for us to be able to walk free from that. It's not always an easy thing, because they're not just things we've been brought up around, but we've kind of learned to think that way over uh, all of our years. So it's there's some renewal, there's some warfare, but it's it's got to happen. If it doesn't, then what happens is 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 that if you do have children, then it just continues to the next generation. You know, I want my children will have battles to fight. They will have, because every generation does. But I don't want them to have myself and Davina's battles to fight. Now I'm sure that somewhere are really perfect, but I don't want them to be fighting the same battles. I want them to be kind of on our shoulders, walking in the victory that we've experienced in Jesus. That's what we want for our children. Do you see what I'm saying? This is really this is a big deal. Um, I don't want us to be facing the same things. That would be that, that that that's not a blessing for them. I want their inheritance to be that through God's work in our lives, they've come into something better. And so you've got to you've got to be able to look honestly and soberly at, you know, what am I carrying through that's just futile. We've always done it, it's futile. Because you have to graciously extract yourself from that. You have to do it graciously because it can cause offence. You do it as graciously as you can, but you must extract yourself from it. How? Balls, servants, all that. Yeah, we've talked about all that. help. Well, but what what else, particularly for us as a church? I think vanity. I think vanity particularly through social media. You know, you spend your whole life trying to get friends and likes and pokes and followers. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's nuts. How many likes have I got? How many pokes have I got? How many this how many that have I got? What are you really doing if you're obsessed with that? What are you doing? What's going on there? Me, me, me. How popular am I? How cool? How funny? How witty am I? See what it is. It's cool, it's cool, it's cool if it stays where it should be. But if that's if that's what's getting you up in the morning, it's just vanity. Oh, you know, I love my profile. Why? Because I show all the good bits. It's all the good bits. Do you know what I mean? Or it's, or it's all the really morbid bits because it's a cry for attention. But it's kind of weird either way. It's not, it's just not normal, folks. I've got to break it to you. That's not normal behaviour. Normal behaviour is Relationships. Now, social media is not a sin; it's not wrong. But if that's where you begin to, that's where you, if that's where you develop your, develop your framework for relationships, it's just weird. I'll go to strange places. Vanities. We've got to look out for selfish ambition. You know, it, it, it's a fine line between saying, "I believe God's called me to do this," between sudden, and then suddenly it becoming the thing. It's a really fine line. You can tend to know whether whether you're in the right place because you can go about it righteously. If, you, if you're going about what you think God's called you to unrighteously, i.e. you're compromising morally to get there, you, you've lost the plot because you said you believe God called you to it, so surely he's going to raise you up into that. Surely you don't have to be unrighteous to get there. That doesn't work. You're not in faith anymore. You can still say, well, God, yeah, but you're not in faith anymore. You, you're no longer believing God. So you've actually started worshipping the thing. Or you can't do it peacefully. Or you you become a slave to those in that world, in that realm, your colleagues, those you're looking to aspire to. You become a slave to them, their every whim, their every request. You can't say no. What's going on there? Now, there might well be a dynamic whereby you you do have to kind of, you know, there's certain, you know, you have to be available. I I understand that. But it it becomes a slavery. You've got into idolatry. Your life's not in order or rhythm anymore. There's, the, the rest is not in the, the the right place. You know, you're not you're not prioritising other things in your life that God says are really important. Fellowship's really important. Fellowship. The, the fellowships a tricky. One, I tell you why? Because it's not dramatic. Yeah. But you just begin to not value that. You you give it a, give it a few weeks or months. You see the result. It's part of God's grace to us one another. <laughs> as unusual as that might sound, it's true. Or maybe it's popularity. That can be a real idol, just trying to be in with everyone. It's like, it's exhausting. False worship is exhausting. But Jesus said, my burden is light, and my yoke is easy. That's following Jesus. The Bible says that God's commands are not burdensome. Odds are, if you're finding them burdensome, it's because you're trying to serve two masters. You're trying to serve that, and you're trying to serve that, and it's getting to you. Jesus said it. You'll end up hating one. I think an idol that we could have could be fierce independence. You live in a Western city where it's all about you, 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 you. You're this, you're that. Aren't you amazing? Don't you deserve this? Da, da 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 da. You can start believing it, and your life no longer remains open to others. You're no longer open to someone having a having a chat, having a word, helping, encouraging, strengthening, correcting, rebuking. You don't need all that. No, I, you know or you feel affronted or offended. I mean, I'll be honest, you know, there have been times where, you know, I've had to say something, and I've done my best, I've done it as gently as I can, and it's a correction I've tried to bring you, you know, and then literally people come to me like a year later saying, I just want to say I've been carrying bitterness for the last year because of that conversation, and I think to myself, you know, I've got a pretty sober view of myself, and I've learnt some lessons the hard way. I did that well. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? I did that one well. Uh, and you think what what is it? And I can't even apologise because I didn't do anything wrong. I think it's just you, you 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 just get offended if someone corrects you. What does David say? David says, "Let a righteous man, let a righteous man rebuke me." It's all in my head. The Bible says that those who are unteachable it's like trying to grasp a thistle. You know you don't want to be that. If that's you, then maybe I, maybe fierce independence is your. I, my, it's my life. You know what? Well, I've got to break it to you. It's not. It's actually not, not just for Christians, it, for Christians in a special way, but for everyone, is his life. All life comes from God and will give account to God. It's not yours. Now, in his mercy, he gives us choice, freedom, hallelujah, but actually we are accountable. And in a final, ultimate sense, it's not ours. And for those of us who are disciples, even more so, because we said, Jesus, I'm all yours. And the Bible says, you are not your own, you've been bought with a price, the blood of Christ. So, th- these are th- these are th- so where do we go from here? We've got to go to the cross, because at the cross we find the only human being who n- was never into idolatry, being broken down as if he's an idol, being torn apart as if he's the worst sinner. You think, what's, what's going on there? Well, what's going on there is, is that there, he is atoning for our sin and our idolatry through that. So, through his broken body, our sin is being atoned for. Through his poured out blood, our sins are being forgiven. That's what's happening there. But not only that, when we join to Jesus, when we come to him, we find one who offers us a a power that is his own power. By his spirit, he offers us that so we might come into a resurrection life where we're able to walk away from idols. I just feel that the Holy Spirit has just spoken to me that there's someone here and you know in your heart that your child or your children are your idol. That can happen. Anything can actually, you know what? The weirdest and most bizarre things can become your idol, but I just feel specifically the Lord just just drop that in my heart. I'm just talking now, that for someone here, He wants you to. And it, I, why would God say that? Here's why: the Bible says that God knows the secrets of the heart. Is just saying, "Look, I'm real, and I know you, and I want to help you out of it." It's not. It's not God just condemning and judging you. It's God letting you, you know He sees the secrets of the heart. He wants to help you out of that so you can come into true worship and then when you're in true worship you know what you can, you can love your child much better than when you're idolising them that's the beautiful that's the amazing thing about it that's the, sometimes one of my children says to me why don't you love me the most and I say you've got to realise I love you so much and, and I can love you most perfectly when I love him the most and it's a bit of a brain job for them to get around but I want to teach them that because I absolutely believe it's true absolutely believe the kind of parent i am is so much better when jesus has the throne than if anyone or anything else does including them it's the truth so we go to the cross and at the cross we find jesus will draw us into a life of holy spirit power but there is a verse i want to share with you from the book of acts coming to an end now it's an important verse it's not a verse we would often um read out we might find it even slightly confusing um, I just need to try to find it, which would help. I could quote it offhand, but I want to, I want to get it right. Oh, it's in Acts three somewhere. Okay, it says this. Um, it says God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey Him. I want you to say that again. God gives the Holy Spirit to those who, who obey Him. Now it's an interesting verse. Here's why: because we would tend to say God gives us the Holy Spirit so we can obey Him. See the difference there. God gives us the Holy Spirit, then we can obey Him. That verse is in Acts 3, it says, God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey Him. Now how does that, hold on a minute, how does it work, here's how it works. When you become a believer, you're given the Holy Spirit as a gift so you can obey Him, absolutely. But at that point, a dance begins, and you know what dances are like, don't you? Another thing about dances, Davina, would you like to come and uh, model with me please? Here's what happens to the dance. But what we do, but nothing more to the That's it, that's it. Yeah. She's yeah. leading. She's yeah. leading. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. it. wasn't just me making the most of that, Thank that was wonderful, but listen... There's an important thing you just saw there. It, it's like we're having that conversation. Okay, so when, yeah, uh, uh, that's what the Christian life is like. God draws you into a genuine dance. He's looking for your willingness. He's looking for your resolve. He's looking for your emotional engagement. He's looking for your time. He's looking for your heart. Okay? And when he sees you, God, when, if, you if you're like, God, I, I'm all you, I am in. God says, I really want to empower you now because you ain't got the power to do it. But there's something about that saying, Lord, I want to obey you. God will not give the Holy Spirit. Now, let me phrase this rightly, but try and get the heart of what I'm saying here. God will not give the Holy Spirit to a double minded person, to a person who has not decided, I'm going to go the Lord's way, but is kind of in this thing, uh, 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 now, if you just give me the Holy Spirit, that would really help, Lord. No. Holy Spirit is given when we say, Lord, you know, I just, I'm, I'm in. But I need your power. Because th- God really honours the decisions and choices and the resolve of the human heart. It is a big deal to him. It's real. It's not like puppet on a string. The interaction between us and God is very real. And I don't get it, and it's very mysterious, but it's very, very real. It's a dance he draws us into. He's always the prime mover. All things are from him, through him, and to him. He gets the glory, absolutely. But our involvement is real. And I uh, just want to urge us that we would um, be awake to the things I'm talking about today. I do genuinely believe that us not just going introspective and searching our souls for the, you'd always find a problem. Okay, yeah, don't do, don't do that. We look to Jesus, but has He sh- reveals areas in our lives which are just us uh, so idolatry? He says you've got to deal with it. That we name it. That we draw in help. That we, we remove the pressure of having to be a hero. Okay. We, we understand this can't just be taken away. It must be replaced and only love for Jesus, worship for him will do it. And I believe this, has a di- this, this stuff has direct implications on our hopes and dreams and God's promises to us of our impact on the city and the nations. I really believe that. It's really important. And all I can ask you to do is to, to, to rise up to that and to engage with that. And I want to just finish very, very practically I want to say, even just being in a running partner relationship with you with one or two others, get real. Don't skirt around the edges. And it normally takes one brave one to really take it to the proper level. Then the whole culture changes. Get real. might be a bit messy, but much better that than superficialities, because at the end of the day they tend to get well, they tend to just not really bring life. So get real. Commit to being part of a gospel community. Even if it's a bit clunky, a bit awkward at first, commit. Because it, it, the bigger we get as a, as a church, the more we've got to learn how to do church well on a smaller scale in gospel communities so that we can benefit all we do in a big setting but really get to grips with stuff in a smaller setting. Commit. That word commitment is a bit of a dirty word. I want to call you to it. It means you make decisions in advance that you then stick to. You don't just go with the wind. Oh, I was going to do that, but now they did that. If you're that person who's always going to do that, but then that, but. You are unreliable. People can't build with you. You're whimsical. It's not mature. We've got to grow out of that. Now, sometimes there are things that come up, they're, just, they're, gen, you know, they're biggies. You think, oh, I, I have to. Of course, of course. But there's something about saying, I want to be the person that, as far as I can help it, my yes is my yes, and my no is my no. So it's really important. And then I will finally say the redemption course. We're going to do a special weekend intensive for... Particularly, we want to take as many leaders, those who are carrying significant responsibility through that course over a long weekend at the end of November, Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning. It will be intense. You will need to get a day off work if you're employed at the moment. There's it a cost involved, but we do want to ask you, we really want to get into this stuff where we learn to, learn to walk victoriously out of idolatry. And then there'll be a normal eight-week course, a, a redemption course um, in the new year, God willing, we hope, 2015, and we're We'd ask all others to please try to try to get onto that. We really want to learn to work this stuff through so that it's real. So that where we spend Monday to Friday, more and more life is coming because we're living in the life of Jesus more and more. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh okay, right, yeah, this is affecting everything. God keep us from that kind of religion where you have this thing on a Sunday and then something really different the rest of the week that's ugly. It's horrible. None of us really want it, do we? None of us want that. It's unfulfilling. It's you know, it's just we don't want that. God help us lead a joined-up life. Well, that comes when we let God begin to really deal with our hearts. Where do you find your ultimate security, honestly? Your ultimate emotional well-being, honestly? Where do you find these things? These are hard questions to answer because suddenly you're face-to-face with the reality of elements of your life. But we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. And so we just, well, we need to just face up to that. Jesus is a very, very gracious, kind, powerful shepherd, And he'll lead us out. He will. He will lead us out. And he'll lead us through, right through to glory. And um, there'll be some bumps on the way and some ups and downs and all of that, of course. But I tell you, he will get us to where he wants us. We've just got to trust him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, Can we just be quiet for a moment? Maybe just see the best way to respond in the moment. And maybe... What's the time, H? Great. We've got a nice bit of time. We've got a nice bit of time. Okay. I think the best way to respond, I, I genuinely think for at this point, I'm sure that th- some more things will come through and there'll be a chance to respond. And I'm going to stay very alert to how I, I believe the Spirit's leading us on this and I'm sure others will too. But I think prob- actually probably the best thing right now is to just be able to sing a couple of songs just to just to remember. It's not removing, it's replacing, yeah? It's just remembering His glory, His beauty, His worth. His love, his his promises, all the all these things to just get our heads straight on that. I think that's that's really the key. That makes this whole some of the stuff I've talked about is tough. I know that, but it makes it safe when we just sense. Okay, I just want to join near to you, Jesus. So maybe if the band could just come up, I just want us to to be able to. Um, uh, there may be some there may be some response we make in the moment today. It, you know, it may be actually the best thing in the world for us is that. What happens is that that, that, that a, a good response, a good response is that we almost decide, I'm not going to do anything today because actually I really want to take action in a way that removes it from a meeting setting. Do you see what? sometimes that can be helpful? You think I want to, you know? But either way, there was something very concrete for Gideon to do, and we trust that God will give us some concrete steps. But we'll, we'll see where He leads us. Why don't we stand to our feet and? Um, Again, please come and use the space. Let's just organise ourselves. I know there's, a, there's a probably a good... Please do come forward. There's probably a good sober quietness in the room. That's not a bad thing. It's not a morbid thing at all. There's just those times where it's just sober. sobering. It's sobering. And, uh, you know, that's, that's okay. It's good. It's one of the ways. There's, there's celebration. And then there's, there's other moments that are a bit different. And that's okay. It's all part of God's grace to us. God dealing with us. We need different things at different times. So... Let's just allow him to draw our hearts. I want to urge you not to be afraid in a wrong sense. You know, God has, God has got you and will lead you through. Even some of you think, gosh, the consequences of what I'm into, where it will go. I, okay, I get it. I get it, I get it, I get it. God is good. He'll make a way. Yeah? He'll make a way. He will. So let's just trust him at this point. Because if we're not trusting, we get all clammed up. If we trust him, he, we can begin to hear him and get a sense of what he's saying. Okay.